Hello, and welcome to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osban, here with Ann Gordon. Today, we will be discussing Brachot Daf Yilchet. Hi, Jordana. Actually, I'm going to take us back a little bit to Brachot Daf Yudzayin Amudbet, because what I want to talk about today, at the beginning of Yudchet Amud Aleph, really begins in Yudzayin Amudbet. We actually finished yesterday. We completed the, the second parak of Masech Brachot. We, there's a Hadran Alach of the parak of the second parak of Masech Brachot. And the next Mishnah begins, one whose deceased relative, one whose dead, dead relative, Mutalifanav, is laid out before him, meaning before the, the person who has died is buried, the person is ready for burial, laid out before him. Meaning the person who is in mourning or is about to enter the period of mourning is now exempt from Kriyachma and from saying from the Amida someone who is not obligated in Tefillin and the idea is that anybody who is in that state of nowadays we call it Aninut someone who is an Onain um, is exempt from all positive commandments. They don't have to do them. They're in. They're they're completely wrapped up, caught up in the fact that their deceased relative is before them. And what I want to talk about here is the very fact that one's deceased relative is in fact before them, which is a very dramatic and vivid image. I would say, especially in our era of, I don't know, some. Um, funeral homes and we we live in a much more sterile kind of environment a much more institutionalized environment very much more often let's say somebody's deceased relative passes away even in a hospital and the dead person and i want to be crass here meaning someone who has died let's be polite um is is not mutalifanav it is not in our dalit amot the person who has died very often um Certainly, sometimes people die at home. In the best of circumstances, I guess people die at home. But this phenomenon of having one's deceased relative, mutalifanav, is presented in the Mishnah as a regular thing. That this is something that can happen, that does happen. It was a given. It was very much a part of life. And I think that this is something that is uh, presented even dramatically enough in the in the Mishnah and in the Gemara that follows. And we'll get into that a bit in a moment that I think it's worth paying attention to because I do find it um, a bit foreign to our contemporary experience of what happens when a relative dies and they are not mutalifanenu, and they are not before us. So, for example, the Gemara goes on to say, you know, there's there's a whole process of, of burial that's discussed here, and some of those formalities are still very much in place. The Gemara on the Mishnah says, mutalifanav in, when the these exemptions of saying not having to say Shema and not having to do the other positive mitzvot are very specifically when the dead body is laid out before you, right? That not if he's not if the person is not physically there. The person's in a funeral home, you're in a different status. Now, lahalacha and and minhag, right? A lot of the practices of death and burial today are are minhag and not halacha. This may come down differently in different, um, you know, segments of the population, whatever. But again, the idea here is that, that there is a very distinct category of 
one whose who's deceased relative is right there. Um, and there's a discussion of, you know, are you, are you exempt because you're too busy to being, you know, steeped in the morning? Are you not supposed to be doing positive mitzvot because it's kind of a chutzpah before a dead body, the death, the dead person can no longer do mitzvot. So maybe it's not nice to do mitzvot in front of them, right? That there's a, uh, you know, they say motzei la'ag, right? It's to, to mock the person, as it were, meaning you're not, but it does a mitzvah function in that way. And then this is what I find even more dramatically far into our experience, right? The, the Gemara goes on to talk about what if you have a concern of mice, right? Meaning this is very vivid and very uh, even grotesque to our modern sensibilities, at least my modern sensibilities, what are your concerns? To what extent do you have to take care of the dead body? This is before refrigeration and again before professional funeral directors and so on. And to me, this idea of, of death being ever present, so to speak, right? That there is a, a capacity for there to be a formal presence of death in our lives is something that I find remarkable, again, about what how far the Gemara goes to dictate every single aspect of what we do and why I find it foreign today perhaps is because we have become this much more sterile environment. I, there's something raw about this. There's something very real about this. And I find it moving and I think important. Um, I, when, when my grandfather died, now a good number of years ago, Allah Hashalom, um, all of the grandchildren came and helped, you know, bury him in terms of literally physically overturning the dirt into the grave. And the previous generation of my family was a little bit startled because I think for them, they they weren't they did not conceive of that physical involvement in the burial. There's a there's a team that comes from the funeral parlor. What what do you need to do this for? And we said, no, 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 we're going to do this. Um, some of this is a difference in religiosity, of different levels of religiosity in my family. But I think it's also just a matter of um, what, specifically what we had been taught about burial. And my mother said to me, my mother who had was then mourning her father, said to me how moving it was to see um, at the grandchildren doing this act of chesed. It is an act of chesed for our grandfather. Um, so I think that it's, I think that there is, I think that there's something, I, I'm almost, a, I guess I'm at a loss of words, unusual, I guess, to, to try to characterize exactly what I find to be so dramatic and important about this. Um, I think it's an object lesson that we're supposed to be paying attention to death, even in life. And maybe we should not be so afraid of it. And maybe we should not be so um, startled by the phenomenon of death that comes at the end of life. And I think that it gives a different kind of meaning to life when we can relate to death in a, I don't know, a normal way. So, I don't know, you're, you're a doctor. Maybe you have something intelligent to say about this. You no, know, I, I think the, the Gemara does something fascinating on this page. It actually goes from two extremes of the death experience. On the one hand, it presents what were the practical halachot for death as it was known, right? That at that time, it wasn't like today. Most people probably, if someone passed away, it happened in their home, as opposed to today, where very often it's in a hospital, in a facility. Um, I don't think, I think there's a good portion of people who have not actually physically seen a person pass away in front of them today. 
Um, and therefore the Mishnah and the Gemara gets into a discussion of, you know, real practical pieces of that. What does it mean to be watching uh, the actual corpse and which mitzvot do you have to do, you know? And I think it's not just simply because you're entering this phase of mourning, but there was actually like physically like something that had to be taken care of. Um, and then even the piece of the mice also, you know, is just sort of the reality of when this piece of Jewish law was written. What I was taken by is then, you know, so that's sort of like the physical part of death. But then on that same death, the Gemara gets, gets into the spiritual piece of death with this beautiful discussion of, do the dead know what happens in this world? And it's almost like they're taking two extreme approaches to how we as loved ones go through that experience. Like there's the, okay, what do I have to do to prepare a funeral, to prepare the body, to get through my practical piece of mourning? And then all of those questions that we deal with as the mourner of having lost a loved one, even though one of the stories that they give isn't even about somebody trying to contact their loved one. You know, it's this weird story about somebody hiding in a, cemetery and overhearing people right. speaking and able to make money because of that, you know, his crops do better. Um, but we have these other stories of where people, you know, uh, you know, where uh, Shmuel was trying to contact his father because he wanted to know um, where the, where the money was, uh, you know, that he had hidden for, uh, that he had kept for orphans. Um, and then the other story, uh, it's slipping my mind now and I don't have it in front of me, about, you know, the sons of, of a particular rabbi who, you know, they, they got busy with some business and they forgot their learning and they were very distressed that their father knew this. So it's really, it's almost artful what the Gemara does on this page, because it basically takes us through the two extremes of the human experience of losing somebody. It starts from the practical, and then it really beautifully moves into the spiritual place of like, do our loved ones actually hear us? I think all of us who have lost someone, you know, we hope they do. <laughs> I think there's like certain comfort in that. But at the right. beginning, the Gemara says they don't. <laughs> and they, you know, and then it's almost like the Gemara fights that impulse, right? The first part when they ask that question, right, they say no. The And that was the story with that rabbi and his sons is they say no, that their father didn't know, wouldn't have known. And they quote a Pusuk to prove that from Eov. Um, but Later on, the Gemara really tries to work through very, very carefully to say, no, actually, the dead do know what happens in this world. Um, and I think this is just a beautiful example of how the Gemara, you know, takes something that's really meant to start off as practical, it's Jewish law, and then moves itself into really asking fundamental questions that each of us struggle with when we encounter death. And I think that speaks also to to this thing that I'm grappling with about about the fear I think people have around death in in our modern society. Where I, listen, I think people have always historically always been afraid of death, certainly for themselves and what it might mean for their loved ones. But in terms of just the the distance that death has for us nowadays, well, also we have science, and doesn't science science tell us that you know life is a series of molecular changes and there's no consciousness clearly, right, after death. And the Gemara doesn't have to worry about that science in a way that is um, perhaps more meaningful, right? We don't really know what happens after death, no matter how scientific you can be. And there's, I think, a value of both suspending our 
our fear and trepidation about this when when death happens and it's so foreign to us, but also suspending our um, disbelief in uh, supernatural concerns, whatever the way the Gemara presents it is, you know, the practicality of how we relate to something that we can't understand. Um, both in, I understand what you're saying about the practicality of, of actually dealing with a dead body, but also there's this concern of like, well, now am I going to talk to my, my dead relative? Am I going to conduct myself as if they can know, as if they do know? Or do I just stop and there's nothing, there's nothing that follows? And I think that everybody has a very hard time grappling with that, with the idea that there is nothing that follows. And the Gemara, um, I think it kind of leaves it open for this discussion. No, it, right? very, I agree. I mean, it starts from one place of saying they don't hear. And sorry, that was Rabbi Chia's sons. That's who the story was with. And then moves to a place to say, no, the dead do know what's going on. And it does leave it sort of on that note. But in a way, also understanding uh, the Gemara, understanding science, not in the way that we understand it today, also allows them to be open, I think, to a different understanding of what happens after death and what happens to sort of that relationship afterwards that I think for the modern person might be a little bit more difficult to grapple with. I do think it's difficult to grapple with, especially since if you grow up with science, you believe in science in and what medicine tells us about the experience of life and health and everything. And yet, you know, the moment we say, here we have a, a God-given religion and we have miracles on Sinai and all kinds of other things in throughout Jewish heritage that require us to suspend our disbelief, I think that we can relate to the phenomenon of death when we say, for example, when a person comes to say Kaddish, right? And Kaddish is then to, I, I believe it provides some measure of comfort for the mourners, but it's also designed to nishmato of the of the person who has passed away. It's designed to elevate the soul of the person who has died. What does that mean, right? And I think that we can accept that, I've said this on, maybe even on our first or second recording, I think that we can accept the Gemara in its own terms, even when it kind of flies in the face of our modern sensibilities. And I think that what I'd like to take from this stuff is that it can inform our modern sensibilities about something that we are missing um, in our experience of, of the natural aspect of death and its experience both in the practicality and the spirituality in our, in our daily or not so daily uh, lives of, of existence. Yeah, I agree. I, it's really, it's a phenomenal daf and one that I feel like I will definitely be going back to. Um, we've heard from some of our listeners and I would agree with it, that I think some of the challenges of daf Yomi is you're reading a lot of information and not always having an opportunity to pause. Um, and I'm trying to at least keep a notebook of different, you know, dafs I'd like to get back to at some point to explore more. This is definitely one of them is daf Yilchet. I also said I need to keep a notebook of the thoughts, you know, exactly this, what needs further pursuit, what I want to make sure that I remember, because it's a vast, it's just, it's vast. And on the one hand, that's exciting. And then every so often I'm like, did I read that? Did I forget? Did I remember? Let me write it down. So I think that this is also anybody listening who feels that you want to uh, be practical in your approach to, to the Dafiomi and figure out what you might like to delve into further at some later date. Uh, writing it down in a notebook or a file, a computer file, 
uh, might be useful. Yeah. So, and if anyone we'd love, I think this is also one of these stats we'd love to hear um, from those who are learning along with us, uh, how they understand some of the uh, Gemara here and particularly that story, I think with that man who hides in the cemetery, I'd love to hear other interpretations of that. So with that, I will say that is our DAF for the day. I think it was a little bit of a heavy DAF, but gave us a lot to think about. Um, and, you know, please find us on uh, all available places where you get your podcast. Please leave us a review. And with that, uh, until tomorrow's DAF.